So uh, I don't know if you've been tracking this, but today is Cinco de Mayo. That's the 5th of May for you English people. Yes. Yes, you know, it's a fascinating celebration of Hispanic culture in our country that was uh, highlighted by a beer company in 1980. No, really, that's how it's been around for like 100 years. But in the 1980s, a beer company thought this is a great opportunity to sell beer. So they uh, put the spotlight on it. And you're right, they sell a lot of beer. They do. It's uh, like I know all about beer sales. You don't get this information just any church you would go to. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So sell as much beer today as you do in Super Bowl Sunday. So, uh, but that's not what it's about. It's about celebrating the Hispanic culture that's so much a part of our culture as well. So happy Cinco de Mayo. Uh, So speaking of following, have you been following James Holzhauer? Have you? Some of you know who he is. He's the guy on Jeopardy. Last Friday was his 22nd consecutive win, and he has won almost $1.7 million already. That's not bad, right, for 11 hours of work, right? So he's this uh, sports gambling guy from Las Vegas who has turned the Jeopardy game show world upside down because of his unique take on the game of Jeopardy. He's uh, taken a whole new look at it. He has spent hours and hours and hours figuring out how to win the game. And it's turning out to be successful. Uh, He has figured out a way through analytics. He uh, checked back on hundreds and hundreds of games to find out where the daily double on the board shows up consistently, what spot it shows up more times than any other. Now, that wouldn't be important except... He's already determined in the game, unlike typical contestants, rather than starting with the simple question, the $100 question, he goes straight to the $1,000 question. And his thinking is this, if he can build up his cash and he knows where the daily double is, he can double more money than he could if he just started with the smaller amounts. And it's turning out for him. Unprecedented numbers. One one day, I think it was over $120,000 that he won in like half an hour. Not bad, right? He has given a ton of thought to this. He has been the guy that has spent hours, and if you were to look at his world, you would go, wow, that's amazing. You would commit that much time to it. Now, just imagine, however, (laughs) that he committed his time to do that, does all the analytics, figures out how to, you know, game the game, and then on top of that, what he did is he built a platform with the similar buzzer that is used so that he could practice knocking off milliseconds so he could buzz in before anybody else did. He spent tons and tons of hours on this, okay? So imagine he's done all that stuff and he's proven to be successful at it in games that he plays in his home. He wins every game and he's won millions of imaginary dollars and he's like acing this thing in his home and he knows how to do it. He's got the skill and expertise and he never additions to go on the show. What would you say? That's a stupid thing to do. (laughs) If you can do it, if you've got the skill and you put the time in it and the thoughtfulness into it and not audition, that's crazy, man. What a waste. Go down to NBC Studios, audition at the very least, and see what happens. Don't waste yourself. Don't be a fool. Well, the reason I bring this all up today is that today marks the end of Jesus' most famous talk, the Sermon on the Mount. And... uh, In the conclusion of his talk, he talks about a foolish person and a wise person. He talks about two house builders, one foolish and one wise. And he identifies one as wise 
as the man who has made the most of his opportunity, and the other is foolish who didn't make the most of his opportunity, and it actually ends up in disastrous consequences. Now, here's the thing. Both of these home builders knew about the same information and had about the same knowledge around how to build a solid, long-lasting, safe home. But oddly enough, they chose two different directions and vastly different ways of building their homes. One, Jesus would conclude, was really savvy and smart and thoughtful and had it together. He's the wise one. And the other, which is a shocking thing, would build it in the most foolish kinds of way. And Jesus kind of ends his whole story of the Sermon on the Mount with this. This is actually how it reads. This is from Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, anyone, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. On the other hand, anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it, oh, they're foolish. It's like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So here's the story. You have a group of people who are sitting on the side of the hill, and they have heard a summary of all of Jesus' teaching. This is the teaching that he'll spend the next three years talking about. In fact, that period of time between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, that ten days, this is what he's talking about. He calls it his kingdom, life in his kingdom, life with him. It's interesting how after sharing this vital information, he gets to the end of his talk and he doesn't share a pep talk with everyone. He doesn't do some kind of inspirational story that causes everyone to go, oh, it's why I want in on that. That's what I want. Rather, he tells a story just from ordinary life that seems to be a blend between opportunity and maybe even some caution in it. And it's all around this idea of who or what are you going to build your life on. And Jesus would say, the metaphor that I would use for your life is like building a house. Now, one thing we understand, all of us understand, almost intuitively, that every single one of us will build our life on some kind of truth or some philosophy or some ideal moral code or even like some ideal truth that we think is out there. And we are really diverse people, and we have all kinds of foundations that we build our lives on. But make no mistake, all of us know we build our life on something, some ideal, some philosophy. In fact, to not have that, to not have some purpose, to not have some foundation, is likely not to be alive. And so Jesus is aware of that. He knows that the diversity of foundations that people build on are very real for them, and they really believe it. They come to a conclusion. Some build their life on a foundation of thinking, well, if I can have enough money or material kind of stuff in my world, I'll have security, some safety. I'll be able to predict the future a little bit. And they kind of live their life on that foundation, acquiring and building and in some ways feeling safe, though they still know it's a little you know, tenuous. Others might build uh, their life on the foundation of this belief, that if I build enough accolades and enough professional credentials and trophies and recognition in this world, that will be a great foundation to build my life on and it'll see me through to the end. Others have different ideas. Some would say, you know, I live to please my God as I understand him to be. 
And I know that he has some expectations of me. And so I try to behave and live in such a way that I meet his expectations so that he'll bless me and maybe ultimately take me into some kind of eternal reward, however I understand that to be. And that's their view or their philosophy. Others, it's a moral code. But the whole point is there's all kinds of things that we build our world on, and every one of us do. Countless foundations, too many to actually name. Jesus has come along and done the same thing. He has, in the last 15 minutes, if you will, the talk that he gives, if you believe he did it all at one time, he has, in those short 15 minutes, told everybody who's listening to him, here's the foundation of life. And he points to himself. He talks about living in his kingdom with him, following him, being a follower of his. Now, he would also assume if you are a person who has concluded that that is a good foundation to live off of, that's how you live your life today, and that's a foundation for your life. But there are many who have not concluded that that is the foundation they want, that it's, they're not sure. You're, maybe that's you, and you're gathering knowledge and information right now, trying to figure out if that is the foundation. But in this relatively short talk, Jesus lays out what life with him looks like. And it's an amazing life. It has everything to do with human flourishing. I won't go back over the whole thing, but Jesus paints the picture of a life that is really a blessed life, that even the most difficult circumstances, trials, and so on in life can actually turn out to be a blessing if God's in charge, if you're living in his kingdom with him, with him overseeing things that actually can turn out for good. He'll talk about you can actually live a worry-free life. Get out of town. No, no. He actually says, if you walk with me long enough and see who I am, you can live a worry-free, fear-free life. He'll say, you know, you, you no longer, if you live in the kingdom, you don't have to perform for anybody. You don't have to show off for anybody. You don't have to be better than what you are. You, have, you live for an audience of one, and that's the king of the universe, and he's already accepted you. He already likes you and thinks you're fantastic. So you don't have to perform for him ever again. You don't have to acquire stuff. Because he's going to provide all that you need in life along the way. It may not be what you would think you need right at that point, but he's promised to providentially provide. And on Jesus goes. He says you can live the kind of life where it's natural and easy to be generous with all that you have. Where you don't scrimp and hold back stuff for yourself. You can live that kind of life. He says you can live the kind of life where you actually are unoffendable. Somebody can slap you on the cheek. And if you choose, you can turn the other cheek, give the shirt off your back, you can walk the extra mile. And it's a natural kind of thing to do. Now, he will tell you that probably to take all of that on and grow on that, you're going to have to walk in his kingdom for quite some time. There will be an initial start, but then it's a lifetime of walking with him, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And as you spend time with him, his influence overcomes your thinking, and you actually begin to think like him. And so this is what he has written, the kind of life he's told them about over those last 15 minutes or so. And then he gets to the very end of it, like the big concluding moment. And this is what he says, anyone who listens to my teaching, what I just shared, and follows it, is a a wise person. I want to point out two words in the first sentence of that. One is listen and the other is follow. In Jesus' language, to listen is a way to pay close enough attention to actually hear what's being said, to take it in, to engage with it in some way. doesn't mean you agree with it, but it hasn't just gone over top of your head. You've actually taken it in and pondered it and thought about it for a little bit. I'll give you an example. A couple of nights ago, I was watching hockey. Yes to hockey. Yes. 
And Elfie asked me to help her with something, to take some food out to the refrigerator we have in our garage. And uh, honestly, I heard her. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be rude or anything. I just was lost in the excitement of the game. I heard her, but I was listening to something else. You get the difference? Yeah, you've done that too, haven't you? That's just a simple way of illustrating what Jesus is saying. It's one thing to hear. It's another to listen. And so he's just saying, like, I'm not, for those that just hear, I don't expect a response. But listen. Open up to it. Listen to what I have to say. And follow. What's he mean with that? Well, the original language for this single word follow was actually a sentence. And the sentence was to put into practice. The actual Greek term was poeho. It doesn't mean anything, just, but this is what it means, okay? It means to act on, to practice, to obey, to do something about what you have heard. In other words, listen to Elfie, okay? Like, listen. When she asks you to take something to the refrigerator in the garage, put down the remote control, get your backside out of the seat, go get the stuff, and put it in the refrigerator in the garage, that's following. Yes, it is. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that there are going to be some people who listen and engage in the things that he's been teaching. And even if it's over a long period of time of doubting and questioning and wrestling and debating, at some point, they decide there is enough validity and truth to his teachings and to him that they're likely to make a decision to agree with what he has taught. Not universally, not all the time for sure, but given enough time, likely there's a, there's a greater chance at the very least. However, the decision to agree does not mean that they actually become followers or students or apprentices of Jesus. It means they've been converted, okay? They're new people. But that doesn't make them followers. They also require a decision to act or to do something with what they have just agreed with. We use these terms around here. There's three kinds of people. There's maybe more, but this is how we... There are people who would say, I am not a follower of Jesus. I'm not convinced of his teaching. I'm not sure it's right. I'm not following. I might one day, but right today, I'm not following. And then there will be others that would go, yep, I'm in. I am following, I'm learning, I'm growing, I find myself over the years increasingly thinking like him, I'm following. And then there's a category in between that call themselves followers, but they aren't actually following. There's no evidence in their life. If you look back over a year or two, their character's about the same. They're just about as worrisome, just about as fearful, just about as, well, unchanged as they were the day they were changed. And so Jesus would say that think about who you are. Let me go back to Elfie's request as an example for just a second. I could have heard her and then even listened. I could have debated with her the merits of taking the stuff out to the garage refrigerator. I could have. I could have disagreed with her on her tactic to do that. I could have ultimately even reluctantly agreed to the, that the items should go into the garage refrigerator. But till I decide to do what she's asked... I'm not following. I'm thinking about following. I'm considering following. I even agree it would be in my best interest to follow. 
but I'm not following until I actually get up and I take the items to the garage refrigerator. This is so important to Jesus. It's the last thing he talks about at the end of his talk. And he says there are two kinds of people here. There are wise people and there are foolish people. They have the same information, but they respond profoundly differently. The wise person, to use Jesus' definition, is someone who's smart, intelligent, prudent, sensible. The foolish person, the word is morose, or we actually get the word moron from it. It's somebody who's unintelligent. I struggled over this word when I read it. They're they're stupid. It's a hard word. They're intellectually dull. But that's not all that Jesus means. That might have been the direct translation. There's something else behind it. These are more than just moral words or words involving intellect or the cognitive ability of a person. Hidden within them was an understanding that there was a quality to the words where one was preferred and the other was not preferred. Here's what the bottom line was. One was thoughtful and the other unthoughtful or thoughtless. The wise was the thoughtful person. The foolish was the unthoughtful person. You see, one is able to reflect and evaluate and assess and discover. The other presses ahead even if doing so creates more confusion, hurt, and hardship. One spends some time in reflection. One pauses. One gets new information and stops and says, is that relevant? Does it matter? Is it true? And they actually spend some time in thoughtful reflection. That's the wise person, Jesus would say. The other is the foolish person, the thoughtless person, who doesn't pause to assess if they're certain about their certainty. They may not even recognize the new information, or they may recognize it. It might even be critical information, but they kind of brush it off because their bias hijacks their will to thoughtfully review. Who would do something like that? All of us. You know, there are actually some cultural factors involved here. If you know, unspiritualize this for just a second, there are some cultural factors involved this, in this. I want to introduce you to a guy I wish I was named after. I love his name, Buckminster Fuller. It's a strong name, right? Buckminster. What's your name? Buckminster. It's a powerful name, right? Well, he's the guy that invented the geodesic dome. If you've ever been to Disney World, that's his invention. But he also wrote a, a really interesting book called The Critical Path. And others have written about this subject matter before. He went back over history and tried to determine how long it takes for information to double in its volume. And uh, he figured out, through whatever method he used for that, that from the time of Jesus to 1,500 years later, the information available to the world doubled over those 15 years. Okay? Do you know how long it takes information to double today? 12 hours. All the global knowledge, others have written about this as well, 12 hours. That means from the time you woke up this morning to the time you go to bed, the available information in this world has doubled. I cannot grasp that, can you? That's just a lot. It's an overwhelming volume of information and the options that come with it. That's a factor in why we wouldn't respond wisely. Here's a second factor. We feel overwhelmed with the information and the options. 24-hour news, which is really 24-hour opinion, right? Hundreds of specialty TV channels, Google, Sirius Radio, email, texting, e-books, podcasts, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, on and on and on, a barrage of information, much of it on the cloudy side, 
right? And here's what happens. We simply, humanly can no longer take it all in, and so we become overwhelmed so much so that we just turn it off, or we simply narrow down the information that we will take in that agrees and reinforces our current thinking. That's what we do. It's a human reaction to it. It's how the brain works. That that results in this. In the end, this overwhelming barrage of information and options creates a type of paralysis that results in an easiest way forward response, which includes doing nothing at all. And so we have this vast amount of information. We no longer can determine what's right, what's wrong, how much. So we shut it off, shut it down, stick in that place of safety where we know what's what, and that's what we go forward with. And some of it is wrong, but we keep moving in that direction. And Jesus would say, hold on. I know what the temptation is. Be thoughtful. Think it through. Consider it. Be wise. You see, for Jesus, it's not okay. He, I think he understands human nature. But it's not okay for people not to be thoughtful and to consider. Even thoughtful about him. Not just blindly following him, but being thoughtful about it. Being wise is what he would point to. You see, not doing that carries consequences. And the consequences and outcomes are just too important to him. Because he wants to bring about human flourishing. And he wants us to have the abundant life. And so he pleads with those on the hill. And maybe us this morning. Be thoughtful. Be wise. And so, to help with that, he compares a wise person who's building a certain kind of house or life to a foolish person who builds a similar-looking house, but there's something profoundly different about the two. In Jesus' day, this use of house metaphor was pretty common, and it makes sense because the activity of the Hebrew life in the first century was around the home. You were born there. You likely were married there. You died in that home. All your family celebrations happened there. If you added another generation, you didn't move to town. You added on to the, the home that was existing, or you gave a piece of the homestead property, and that's where you lived. Families lived in kind of communities and nuclear units like that, and that's just how life was. They ran their business out of their home. All of life happened in the home, and what Jesus is saying by building a home or a house, he's saying, this isn't just about a place you go at the end of the day. It's about your whole life. That's what I'm interested in, your life you build. And he's saying the first builder, the wise builder, builds all of his life on some kind of bedrock, and Jesus would suggest it's him and this whole vast body of teaching that he has given in this sermon. And if you do that, you'll find yourself growing in confidence that Jesus is correct. And Jesus would say, put it into practice then. Put it into practice. This is someone, Jesus would say, who's really smart, who's astute, who takes the time to make sure the foundation is solid, that the foundation is reliable and it can survive the test of trouble because he's going to introduce something into this story that's there for all of us. Trouble is about to go down. As happens often in northern Israel and the Galilee region, significant, significant and it appears sudden storms can kind of pop up, and that's just the reality of what happens there. So Jesus writes, says this in verse 25, it says, Though the rain comes, because it's coming, and torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, here's the good news. Right foundation means that it's not going to collapse because there's bedrock. That's the good news. Because someone built their house on a bedrock foundation, it stands. It'll be there in the morning. 
It might suffer some damage, but it's still going to be there in the morning. On the other hand, verse 26 says, but someone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like the person who builds his house on sand. A foolish person is one who doesn't build his or her life on Jesus in the full body of his teaching that he has offered up in this short sermon on the side of the hill. The story implies that the person heard the teachings of Jesus, but for whatever reason, they don't follow or make the decision to put them into practice. And he never tells us why. Why they wouldn't do that. It could be that they're confident and trusting in some other method or some other way. It could be they're not confident and trusting enough in Jesus to accept that what he says is true. That's possible. It may simply be that they're busy with life. And they feel they can't take the time right now to be thoughtful and to consider Jesus and his teaching. Look, I'm a, I'm, a grad, I'm a grad student. I have three little children. I'm working hard at building my career. I commute every day. I don't get home till 7 o'clock at night. It takes a lot of time and energy to do this. I just, I'll do that at another time. I don't want to think about that stuff right now. I want to experience and experiment with life. And I think following Jesus would just mess that up for me. Or maybe they're just tired or too overwhelmed by daily life to be thoughtful. Or maybe they prefer a different teacher that they've tied themselves to. Or maybe this. Maybe they would say, look, I became a Christian when I was a kid or a student and grew up in a Christian home. And, well, that's about as close as I want to follow. That's it for right now. Or maybe they would say, the people I know who call themselves followers aren't any different or even all that attractive to me. So why would I want to become one of them? Whatever the reasons are, Jesus doesn't tell us what it is. He doesn't give us the reason why. I think this is so brilliant. you know why? Because it allows all of us to put ourselves into the story and think for ourselves who we are and who who we follow and what our foundation is. We get to ask, am I a wise person? Would I be considered foolish? Maybe I'm someplace in between, a bit of both. It seems Jesus' aim here is for all of us to be thoughtful. Thoughtful about what we believe, even if it's him. Thoughtful if it isn't him. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Back to the houses for just a second. Construction methods in the Galilee region of Israel were kind of universal because of the building materials that were available to use. Most of the homes were made with mud and straw bricks, and we have some wood structure to hold up the roof, that kind of thing. They kind of all look the same. And to the casual observer, you might not even notice the type of foundation that's underneath the house. It isn't obvious all the time. They kind of look, the houses kind of look the same. Similarly, from a distance and in short term, there is little evident difference between a wise and a foolish life builder to the casual observer. Oftentimes, they're the same. Similar jobs, similar cars, similar house, shop at similar stores, go to similar restaurants, same movies, enjoy the same sports. And from a distance in the short term, they might look exactly the same. Oh, that is until the storm comes. Till the flood comes. And therein lies the difference between the two houses. And therein they begin to reveal the foundation that's under them. Just like the bedrock house, this sand foundation house also is in the path of a similar ferocious storm. And this is what Jesus says about it in verse 27. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. These kinds of floods were common in Jesus' era, particularly in northern Israel. They're common in different parts of the world. They're even common in our own state. Did you know that? In 2010, a severe storm went through Littlefield, Arizona. You know where Littlefield, Arizona is? 
the farthest northwest corner of our state, right up against Nevada. Uh, a man had just completed building a new home, a beautiful new home. Uh, 2,000 square foot, three bedroom, typical desert architecture kind of home, right up against Beaver Creek, which ran dry for most of the summer. But in December of 2010, this is what happened to his house. On the very day that he was going to move in, he had already moved some stuff in, suddenly this storm comes up, unpredicted, highly unusual for it to happen, but this surge of water swept through Littlefield, and his house was right in the way of it. How sad, how tragic is that? It gets worse. Because this was so rare and a phenomenon, once in a lifetime maybe, he had no insurance on his home. This is painful, it's discouraging. And more than that, it's devastating and by all appearances irredeemable. Over and over, when storms are mentioned in the Bible, they're synonymous with the kind of hurt and pain or trouble. A diagnosis, a tragedy, unemployment. Loss of a dream, bad news, catastrophe. It's never if, but it's when. I love Jesus' honesty. In a day of self-help and unhelpful pep talks, including people who follow Jesus and teach on his behalf, Jesus just refuses to pump us up with some utopian idea that people who choose him and his teachings move into some kind of insulated existence that's easier than those who do not. It's simply not true. Regardless of what you think about Jesus, this stuff touches all of us. And what Jesus is saying is that although there are other environments where our foundation is revealed, there are. There is nothing quite like hurt, pain, disappointment, and pressure to reveal the nature of the foundation we really, really are building our life on. In the end, this storm is so severe that the foolish builder's foundation is unable to to carry the weight of the house. And he's wiped out. He said a mighty crash. It's a mega crash. The storm wipes out the man and his family. And it's a really sad part of Jesus' story. You see, storms do not necessarily wipe you out, but they necessarily reveal who and what you have your confidence in. And then the oddest thing happens. While the weight of that story just hangs in the air for everybody on the side of the hill. And they're probably all asking, am I wise? Am I foolish? What am I? This is what happens. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers in religious law. Suddenly, his teaching is over. He's given this incredible picture of what life with him is like. And then he asks who's wise and who's foolish. And it's like his mic drop moment. Drops the mic and walks off. Not another word is said. Why would he do that? Why not have some pep talk at the end? You can do this. Why not? Why not challenge him to make a decision right then? Don't leave the hillside without making your call for me. There's no closing prayer. It's just a house-building story, and Jesus walks off into the Galilean countryside. That's a terrible public speaking finish right there. Ah, that is, unless you have some reason for doing that. As a kid, when the teacher would give this kind of talk, he would always finish what we got to know as an altar call. You might be familiar with it. 
people would be invited to make a crucial life choice decision by getting out of their seat and coming and standing at the front of the church. It was thought that this would be, up here would be kind of like an altar. As a pastor, I've invited people to do that. And I've responded myself in times like that. But Jesus just seems to let the teaching hang there. No altar call. What's he doing? Well, Jesus respects our ability to think, to consider, to choose, and to respond. It's brilliant. He actually wants us to finish the story. He wants us to be thoughtful. He wants us to ponder wise or foolish, thoughtful or not. Remember, it's the wise man who is thoughtful. He's thoughtful about his decisions. He evaluates and is able to be, do some serious self-reflection. He hears and he listens and then carefully and with clear intent makes a decision and then follows through with action. It is the foolish man who is the one who is unthoughtful and hears something and ignores it or makes a rash decision and he never follows through on it. Jesus knows the seriousness of the consequences that are here. He has just shared an incredible picture of life, the flourishing life with him. And he leaves the choice with you and me. Whether we're going to be thoughtful about what he says. Whether we're going to consider. Maybe pause long enough to go, like, am, I, am I really following? Or am I just consuming? Like, I like what Jesus has for me. And I like the good stuff he brings. And there's some, you know, there's some emotional comfort from that. But actually putting it into practice, actually living with him, actually waking up in the morning and doing life with him all day long, sharing who I am with him and letting his spirit like, speak truth to me and convicting me on occasion, correcting me, redirecting me, giving me grand ideas like go to your homeland and be an agent for me there, following. I'm so glad that Jesus drops the mic and walks off the stage because the question hangs there for us too. Are we going to follow? Not just hear, not just listen, but follow. Wise or foolish, the choice is ours. Now Jesus, thanks for the way that you communicate. You're really quite something. Um, our tendency might be to throw down a big challenge and uh, I don't decide now. But you take a longer look, it appears, and you go, no, no, no. If you're going to choose, I want you to be thoughtful. I want you to deal with your doubts and answer those questions you have. Do it intentionally. Don't Don't wait. I know you're busy, I know there's stuff, but be thoughtful, be wise, be wise. I love Jesus the way that you turn to us who would say we follow you already, but we haven't thought it through carefully. Our faith isn't our own, it's the faith of our parents maybe, it's the faith of the church we grew up in, but we haven't lived thoughtfully and we haven't really thought through what what foundation am I really building on? Jesus, you've laid out a great option, a great opportunity for us. And now the choice is wise or foolish.